Hello, Janesville, and welcome back to the Park Place Podcast, the monthly program that aims to keep residents informed by highlighting the people, places, and partners of the City of Janesville in an audio format. As always, this program is brought to you by the City of Janesville and JTV Media Services. I'm your host, Nick Faust, and I'm the Communications Specialist in the City Manager's Office. On last month's episode, we welcomed Kelly Bedesim, the City's Housing Services Director. As the City works to ensure all of our neighbors have access to safe and affordable housing, it was terrific to have Director Bedesim on the show to speak more about those efforts. If you're interested in viewing that episode or any past episode of Park Place Views, they're all available to watch on demand on the City's website and on JTV's YouTube channel. Today I'm looking forward to being joined by Dave Botts, the City's Utility Director. With winter and the cold months back in Janesville, I'm excited to have Director Botts with us to learn more about the City's water and wastewater utilities and all the work they do to keep our faucets running and our toilets flushing. But first, a little more about Director Botts. Dave has been with the City since 2012 when he was hired in his current role. Before coming to Janesville, Dave served as the Director of Public Works for the City of Beloit for 13 years. Before serving in that role in Beloit, Dave spent seven years with the City's Engineering Department and 10 years as a practicing engineer in the private sector. Dave holds a BS in Civil Engineering from Southern Illinois University and a Master's in Public Administration from Northern Illinois University. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. Well, before we get started, uh, I thought I'd maybe give you a chance to tell the community a bit more about yourself. Well, I, as far as hobbies, uh, mm -hmm. uh, golf is a big interest of mine. <laughs> I enjoy playing golf as much as possible and trying to get out and do that and enjoy the area golf courses. Uh, not that good, but uh, enjoy, <laughs> yes. enjoy the game. Right. Um, other hobbies, I like to travel. Of course, you know, that's been kind of uh, curtailed a little bit, right. you know, lately, but uh you know, I enjoy doing that with uh, my wife and family, and then um, uh, probably oh, several years ago took up scuba diving. Oh. And so, you know, been to various places around the world scuba diving, so that's been a, a very interesting hobby. Really a wonderful hobby. You're a braver man than I, I think, in terms <laughs> of that, but it's certainly got to be spectacular to, to see and, and visit those places. It is, it is. Awesome. Well... Dave, it's, it's once again winter in Wisconsin's Park Place, and, and the cold weather certainly isn't new to town, but maybe if you could share with residents, how does the utility division handle those, those extreme colds that we're starting to see? Well, we, you know, we look at what the, the weather forecasts are going to be. We uh, make sure that the staff are adequately supplied mm -hmm. with the you know, tools and equipment they need to work because uh, it really doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees out or negative 20 right. you know we're still responsible for making sure that the you know the, the utility operations function properly yeah and so we got to make sure that staff are properly prepared to go out and deal with the situation uh, whatever it is mm -hmm. and uh, uh, take care of the business to make sure that uh, we provide the service yeah and and I think, Dave, when we think about maybe the, the community's role in that, because there's certainly our residents play a role in keeping the utility system healthy, what can residents do maybe in the colder months to help present, or prevent, I should say, you know, those frozen pipe problems and stuff like that? Typically, uh, we have a list of uh, locations that have had problems in the past, mm -hmm. and we'll send a letter out to them in November to remind them that, you know, it's getting cold, you know, Monitor your systems and yeah. make sure that uh, you're keeping thing. You know, you're keeping your pipes warm. Right. Uh, people with crawl spaces, or if you have out plumbing on outside walls of your house, you want to leave cabinet doors open if you're going to be extreme cold for a period of time. 
and if, you know if it if you need to you can you know let your water drip a little bit mm -hmm. running water tendency you know not to freeze as easy as you know still water and uh, so that's what we try to work with the, the property owners that we're aware of but we send out press releases uh, yeah. to try to you know remind people to you know make sure that they keep their places warm mm -hmm. yeah and and we think about keeping our pipes warm, disconnecting hoses, stuff like that. On the, on the back end of that, though, we also have our wastewater treatment plant. Uh, how does the winter weather, if it does, impact those facilities or that facility? Well, it, it does have an impact. I mean, the, the facility is primarily outside. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the staff have to be prepared to, you know, dress properly for the conditions. Uh, and they have to be outside, you know, monitoring the, the process to make sure that the you know, the, the mechanicalness of it is operating properly. So uh, they just have to, you know, be careful out there and still have to do the same work you do in the summertime to make yeah. sure that the, the facility operates properly. Right, and I'd be, I think, remiss, Dave, not to also inquire about a, another major external factor, uh, and that's COVID-19. Uh, how financially or operationally has the pandemic really affected our, our utilities' efforts? It, it really hasn't had a big impact on us. I mean, obviously, that the staff is needs to be concerned about you know bringing the virus into the mm -hmm. operation. Uh, you know, we're very you know conscious on making sure that you know everybody's wearing the proper PPE. Right. And uh, you know, because if you lose staff, you know, you lose people who can run the operation. So, uh, other than that, really haven't had much of an issue with it. Uh, Janesville doesn't shut water off for non-payment of bills. Right. So if people were out of work and unable to, you know, pay for things, uh, basically what happens if they can't pay it at some point, it gets rolled into their taxes. Mm -hmm. So you know, we don't shut water off. Yeah, and that's that's nice to hear because we know financially many in our community have been impacted, and and water being necessary mm -hmm. to all things we do is it's good to hear that. The utility works with folks on that, and I think shifting back then to the to the water side of things, I, I'm sure our viewers can all appreciate the importance of safe drinking water. And at the risk of maybe sounding a bit trite, you know, it is it's kind of the foundation of a healthy community. Uh, what steps does the water utility take? I think to to ensure that we have access to to clean drinking water. Well. Uh... We want to make sure that people understand that our water comes from wells. Mm -hmm. We have deep wells and shallow wells that we pump into our system. We do not take water from the Rack River. Yes. So there's uh, sometimes we get that question once in a while. Misunderstanding. But uh, uh, so we pump our water into a reservoir. At that, in those reservoirs, we add chlorine and fluoride to the mm -hmm. water, and then it's pumped out to the system. On a daily basis, we're out in the system taking water samples to make sure that as water goes out into the system, it, it, it meets all the uh, requirements for safe drinking water. Because mm -hmm. we sample at various locations and those samples are reported to the state so that, uh, you know, everybody, you know, we, we know that the water's safe. Yeah, a process of, of continual effort and monitoring to make sure that it's, it's always going to be safe for mm -hmm. folks. And I think something maybe on everyone's mind following you know, the crisis we saw with water in Flint, Michigan, uh, is lead pipes. And, and the city has never experienced issues uh, with lead contamination. Uh, however, I do understand that we're, we're being proactive 
uh, in removing those remaining private uh, water lead services in town. Can you can you walk us through that project? Certainly. It's uh, like you said. You know that has been a big crisis throughout the country. Uh, so the, the the federal government made funding available to the states to use for private lead service replacement. Uh, the city of Act has actively been pursuing that funding now for several years. And uh, right now I can say that we've removed all the active private side lead services in the community. Wonderful. That was completed yet this year using private plumbers, did all that work. And uh, you know we worked with all of our residents to get that accomplished. And now we're gonna continue to try to get funding to remove additional iron services that were once connected to lead. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the next phase of the pro project. And so we've applied for more funding to do that. So long as the, the federal government and the state pump money into this you know type of activity, yeah. we're gonna pursue it. Because yeah. uh, I mean, if it's money that's available to do it, the private property owner does not have to pay for it then. That's that's awesome and good to hear that those efforts continue uh, and, and wonderful to hear that the city is maximizing those federal and state dollars uh, to accomplish that task. And on the topic of, of water safety, kind of a significant threat I think viewers may have heard around the state uh, is PFAS contamination. Uh, and as I understand, PFAS is a, a manufactured chemical found in nonstick cookware, waterproofed items, uh, firefighting foam. What do residents kind of need to know about, about PFAS contamination and how the city's approaching that? Well, when it, when it first all came out, we ran tests of our you know, water that we draw from the wells and found that we had no detection mm -hmm. of, the, of the PFAS chemicals you know, that were tested for at the time. So we're, we think we're in pretty good shape. Uh, all the industries in our area that may have used PFAS in the past, you know, that practice was eliminated a number of years ago. Uh, the only probably active participant that may be contributing PFAS to the the, the water would be the, the landfill. Yep. And so you know we're you know we're we'll be monitoring that type of stuff. So at this point, we feel pretty comfortable that we're in very good shape with that. Good. And uh, not something that we're going to be really uh, exposing people to or, or worried about, but we continue to monitor it. Yeah, those efforts continue. And I think that kind of underscores the uh, processes, you know, that, that we have in place to protect and deliver clean water. And that takes a tremendous amount of effort and energy. But one accomplishment I wanted to highlight uh, this past year in the utility was the installation of AMI, or Automated Meter Reading Infrastructure. Could you give us an overview maybe of that new technology and how it doesn't not only benefit the utility but also our, our, our customers? Well, it, in the past when we were reading meters, you know, manually or even uh, uh, with a computer tablet, mm -hmm. we were reading that meter once every three months. So if someone had had a leak in their house, uh, you know, typically you'll have an opportunity for a, a toilet that runs yep. or like a water softener that continues to regenerate or even a water heater that's leaking or something that's leaking in your house. You know, we don't detect that high volume of water usage until you get your next bill, which could be three months later. Yeah. And by then that, you know, dollar amount could have really added up. What this does now, this technology will allow us to read that meter every hour. Mm -hmm. And if we see something where uh, a water usage goes up and stays constant for a period of time, it will indicate to us that there's a potential leak at that location. Yeah. And then we can notify the property owner and say, hey, you need to check something. You know, 
we have we believe that you're using water at a you know a not normal rate, mm -hmm. and so that you know you need to uh, check it out. Uh, and so that's where it's going to come back and help the customers. Yeah. And with that, it'll help uh, you know our our water you know pumpage. Mm -hmm. You know if we can avoid you know sending water to somebody that's not not intended for use. Yeah. You know then we can. Um, uh, you know, try to reduce that, you know, the, how much we have to produce as well as how much people have to be responsible for paying for it. Because once it goes through the meter, yep. property owner is responsible for that. Yeah, yeah. So conserving not only water, but but saving uh, mm -hmm. property owners money. And, and so that's wonderful. And I think kind of off of that, Dave, I know the utility also has a water conservation rebate program. And that incentive program encourages residents to replace inefficient fixtures uh, with new, more environmentally sound um, devices that, that preserve water. Could you explain maybe that program uh, to viewers and, and what other ways maybe they can play a part in conserving our water supply? Well, what we, what we do now is our rebate program, like you mentioned, uh, will offer a $25 rebate for replacement of like shower fixtures mm -hmm. and uh, faucets and a $50 rebate for replacement of uh, toilet fixtures that are um, WaterSense approved, WaterStar approved, or EPA approved, uh, you know, fixtures that use, you know, low volumes of water. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of really promoting water conservation because, you know, we're in the business to sell water. Yeah. But now we're telling people to try to use less water, right. which is important to do because we want to make sure that we have enough water to last the community for basically ever. Yep. And, uh, you know, so conservation is a very important thing we try to encourage. Yeah, ensuring future generations to come that, that, that important access to water. And we all certainly have a role uh, in that process. But I think then on the flip side of, of the coin, so to speak, the city's wastewater utility helps deal with all the water on the opposite end of that process. And that team plays a critical role in, in protecting Janesville's environment and likewise our community's physical and economic health. Could you maybe give us some more extensive uh, overview, I should say, uh, understanding of what happens, you know, when water goes down the drain or, or we flush our toilets. What happens is, you know, every house has a sewer lateral mm -hmm. that comes out to a main out in the street or near the property. You know, from then it, it flows, you know, through that collection system of, of sewer lines until it uh, comes out the treatment plant and they vary in size. We go mm -hmm. from, you know, probably four inch, six inch, you know, all the way up to the pipe that goes along the river to the treatment plant, it's a 72-inch wow. sewer. And, uh, you know, we have to monitor those for condition. We mm -hmm. clean them on a regular basis. And so, uh, you know, making sure that that collection system operates properly. Yeah, yeah. And then all 300 miles or so of those, those mains, that infrastructure comes to the wastewater treatment plant over on the river. And, and the process of remediating wastewater before it's returned to the Rock River takes a ton of people power, a lot of energy, and rectifying any issues at really all hours of the day, because we know wastewater doesn't take time off. And how does the utility division handle those those critical maintenance tasks and emergency repairs to keep things working? Well, we're we're available, you know, 24/7, 365. Mm -hmm. I mean, it the, the plant operates all the time. Uh, the staff are well trained. And uh, we've got a very good staff out there that, you know, really work hard to make sure that it's properly maintained and functions properly. Uh, you know, we 
work on processes to make improvements mm -hmm. to as technology changes and different things come online to help us, you know, clean the water better. Yeah. We take advantage of those and uh, uh, we put money aside each year to you know, have money available to upgrade the plan as needed. Right. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a tricky process. But yeah. the staff are well trained, and they make sure that it functions properly. Yeah, they get it done. Ongoing 365, and I think one thing that maybe I know I kind of overlook in that whole process is the function of the wastewater treatment plant's lab. Uh, folks in that lab do a ton of work to make sure all of our effluent or water leaving the plant uh, is environmentally sound and meets all the various requirements uh, to keep really the Rock River and our, our community healthy and safe. Could you give us an idea maybe of all the kind of testing the lab does, um, even outside of the, the process control, because I understand they, they even do pretreatment work with some of the private facilities in town to keep everything healthy. We have uh, basically two lab chemist staff members that uh, manage that program. Mm -hmm. One guy works primarily with the pretreatment program where he works with uh, 11 different of our industries around the city to make sure that what they discharge to our facility you know, it isn't going to be something that's going to be harmful. Right. Uh, and it's going to have an impact on the, the plant operation. Uh, the other guy is uh, primarily responsible for the uh, making sure that the function of the treatment process is operating properly. Mm -hmm. You know, so he's, there, he's testing for pH, he's testing for ammonia, there's a biological oxygen demand, mm -hmm. things he tests for. Um, you know, there's just a whole slew of tests that we have to do for our permit, yeah. and we report all this information to the state to make sure that, you know, we're functioning properly. But, you know, from the results of his testing to determine that the plant is functioning properly. Right. And so if he sees something abnormal pop up, he reports that to the operation staff, and then those guys try to figure out what they need to do right. to correct what's happening with that yeah. you know, part of the plant continuous feedback to, to mm -hmm. kind of make sure that 24-7 piece of infrastructure is, is functioning. And when we think about that testing component of wastewater treatment, um, something maybe the community learned a bit more in January is our utility participates in a statewide COVID-19 surveillance program uh, that tests influent wastewater uh, to better understand the spread of, of the virus in our community. What is that program all about and, and how does that work? Well, we were, we were approached by the state because, you know, we're the biggest treatment plant in the county. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically we grab, you know, two samples a day, twice a week, and uh, send those off to the state lab. And then they take that information and, you know, evaluate it and try to determine, you know, what's going on in the community based on what they see in the, the water samples. Wow. And that, that's, that is fascinating because I, I don't think people often maybe conventionally think about that as, as a way that we can actually see the spread and sometimes before the actual results or the physical test numbers go up, we can see that right in our influent and cool to hear that the utility participates in that program. And another point of interest I think is the utility uh, mitigating phosphorus levels in our wastewater. Uh, last year the treatment plant installed some new infrastructure to help monitor and treat phosphorus. Why is it so important for our community's environmental health that we do that? Part of our permit has, you know, various limits of what we can discharge to the Rock River. 
and to try to clean up the receiving waters around the state. The state has been very aggressive on the amount of phosphorus that gets discharged. Uh, our permit went from uh, 1.0 milligrams per liter down to 0.1 milligrams oh. per liter. And so it's a, it was a substantial decrease in what we can discharge. So yeah. uh, we're fortunate that when we did our last upgrade to our facility in 2008, 2009, that uh, they prepared for this to come. And so our plant does a very good job of reducing phosphorus, but we've had to come in now and put uh, phosphorus analyzers in mm -hmm. various spots in the plant and then uh, different chemical feeds so that if we detect a heavy load of phosphorus coming in, mm -hmm. we can add more chemicals to the, you know, to the operation and try to catch it you know, right. before it gets to a point where it's gonna discharge at a higher level than what we're permitted to discharge. So that's the, the actions we're taking to, to try to do that. But on the other side of that, we're also working with uh, the Rock County Soil Conservation Service mm -hmm. to identify locations around the, around the, in the, the farmlands around Janesville where we can install um, practices that reduce the runoff of phosphorus right. from farm fields or livestock uh, areas and uh, by, you know, installing those practices like buffer strips and things like that, uh, we'll get credit for pounds of phosphorus mm -hmm. from that that we can use to offset uh, any, you know, large discharges that we get in a, in a trading program. So, yeah. uh, you know, those things help our local farmers. Yep. It, it helps reduce runoff from these farm operations into the creeks and streams. And then plus it gives a benefit to the city that we can use to offset any you know high loads of phosphorus we get into the plant. Yeah, working really hand in hand with our, our community partners to to solve that phosphorus problem, and mm -hmm. that is certainly important as we move ahead. And I think thinking about then, you know, Dave, the utility, all it's doing to keep our wastewater system functioning and effective. I also know there there is a role there on the back end for our residents to play, uh, and. It would just so happen that this month's Park Place Inquires question covers just that. A local viewer, Shelby M., asked, I know some people who use disposable wipes in their bathroom, and they always say that the labels uh, on those products uh, say that they're flushable. Is that really the case? <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that are flushable that you can physically flush down the toilet. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, wipes are one of them that they say they're flushable, our national organizations have been working with the manufacturers of those to try to get that labeling removed. Right. Because even though it's flushable, it's not, you know, you shouldn't, that's not a proper way to dispose of it. Right. Because it doesn't deteriorate in the wastewater. The plant doesn't deteriorate at the plant. All it does is end up clogging up, you know, your sewer lines and causing backups in your sewer lines. And it causes, you know, operational issues at our treatment plant that we mm -hmm. have to deal with by, uh, you'll have to pull pumps apart to clean all the rags out of yeah. them, and it's a uh, not a very pretty thing to do. And no, you know, and the guys are not real excited when they know a pump's clogged that they have to tear apart and you know clear rags out pull of it. All but those rags. Uh, you know, we got that as well as you know people putting grease, mm -hmm. you know, down the drain. Right. I and mean, we've got a thing that we try to promote is cease the grease. Right. Because grease is also a, a big contributor to sewer backups, mm -hmm. and it's, it doesn't. Does it degrade in the treatment plant? It's just a, a, a nuisance. And so you know, we encourage the other ways to dispose of grease yep. into your trash rather than dumping it down a drain. Yeah, yeah, certainly important everybody 
seasoning the grease using those those uh, tins or, or collecting them and disposing them in the trash and then keeping those those flushable wipes in the trash uh, where they belong and that was a tremendous topical question and if you're like Shelby uh, and have an inquiry you would like answered on this program I'd encourage you to submit it to us by emailing cojmedia at ci.janesville.wi.us while your question might not be like Shelby's answered here on this program city staff will be happy to answer it for you Dave, uh, then before we wrap up, I wanted to maybe highlight one final major accomplishment uh, in sustainability at our treatment plant, and that's the use of micro turbines that, as I understand, we're employing to actually generate electricity at the facility. Those, I think, are powered actually by methane that the facility produces. Uh, what does that whole initiative really entail? Well, we, like you mentioned, we you know, use our digesters and, you know, digesters create methane gas. Mm -hmm. The practice had been for a long time is to just to flare it off. Yep. But what we've done in part of the uh, upgrade in 2008 was to uh, capture that gas and then we run it through a conditioning system to refine it a little bit better into fuel mm -hmm. and we use that fuel then to operate microturbines. We have 465 kilowatt microturbines and one 200 kilowatt microturbine and we run those to um, uh, generate electricity. Yeah. We used to sell that electricity back to Alliant, but our agreement with Alliant expired last year, so now we just run that, use that electricity to offset how much we have to buy from Alliant to mm -hmm. operate the plant. So it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a great cost reliever for us. Yeah. We also then re further refine that gas into compressed natural gas CNG, wow. which we use to uh, fuel vehicles for both the water utility and wastewater utility. So it is a combined uh, operation where we can, you know, maximize what we can get out of that uh, gas that we generate. Yeah, yeah, not only from an environmental standpoint, but an economic mm -hmm. uh, standpoint. Very beneficial to the city and to the utility that we do that. Mm -hmm. It's a super neat program. and. That about, I think, does it for us today, Dave. I want to thank you not only for stopping by, uh, but the effort you and your staff really put in every day, uh, as I said, to keep the, the faucets running and, and the toilets flushing. Uh, in all seriousness, I, I think we perhaps too often take some of those things for granted, clean water, uh, clean environment, and, and we all need that, really, at the end of the day. And it's, it's through the dedication of the utility staff that our community is, is afforded those resources. So thank you. Thank you, Nick, for inviting me, and, and we do have an awesome staff out there that take care of this for the community. Certainly do, and, and I want to thank you, our viewers and residents, for tuning in today and for all you do to help make Janesville a community of choice to realize life's opportunities. I invite you to stay connected with the city by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, signing up for emergency notifications via the JPD on the Nixle app, and receiving our weekly city press releases by visiting www.janesvillewi.gov forward slash email us. I also want to encourage you to tune into the program next month when I sit down with the Executive Director of the Janesville Area Convention and Visitor Bureau, Christine Rebout. A true rock star of our community, I'm excited to have Director Rebout join us to discuss what truly makes Janesville a fantastic place to stay, play, and explore. For the Park Place Podcast in the city of Janesville, I'm Nick Faust. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next month.